welcome back to Dictatorium, episode 2.5, The Dawning of a New Age. Last time, we saw how communism steamrolled its way into Romania after World War II, and how Gheorghe Gheorghiu Desh created a new state in Stalin's own image, with his protege Ceausescu backing him the whole time. When it was Desh's time to check out, Ceausescu used deft political maneuvering to present himself as a compromised candidate to succeed his old tutor. When everyone finally agreed, the communist world had their youngest leader to date. All the older, wiser, and more politically entrenched guys who chose Ceausescu believed they were secure in their positions and that things would carry on much as they had under Gheorghiu Desh. But boy, were they wrong. From the get-go, Ceausescu started reshaping Romania according to his own vision. Just a few months after he took control of the party, at the next party congress in August of 1965, Ceausescu made some pretty big changes. The People's Republic of Romania would now be known as the Socialist Republic of Romania. To go along with this, the name of the ruling party was changed from the Romanian Workers' Party to the Romanian Communist Party. I didn't talk about this before, but when the Social Democrats joined the Communists, the name was changed to the Workers' Party and had called itself that since 1948. Well now, it would be the Romanian Communist Party, to exemplify how far the Romanian people had come. The last big change of the Congress was to adopt a new constitution. The biggest change that this constitution brings about in my mind is the provision that changed Romania's relationship with the Soviet Union. It went from a brotherly alliance with the Soviet Union to a principle of quote-unquote respect for national sovereignty and independence, equality of rights, and reciprocal advantage, and non-interference in internal affairs. That's really fancy wording to say, hey, thanks guys, we can take it from here. No need for you to be all up in our business all the time. Okay, thanks. After Stalin's death, Gheorghe Dej both attempted to get with the program of reforms that Khrushchev was impl implementing, but also, he tried to distance Romania from the Soviet Union both economically and in foreign policy. Romania had loosened up censorship and was maybe the most liberal country in the Warsaw Pact next to Czechoslovakia. Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev even commented that Romania was quote-unquote out of step with the rest of the bloc. Ceausescu wanted to continue on this path, but he was more forceful about it. Relations with the Soviet Union were obviously of the highest priority, but they weren't his only priority. In 1960, the Soviet Union and China got into a diplomatic spat that ended up with shooting along the Soviet-Chinese border. Gheorghe Udesh had reached out to improve relations with China in a move which really, really irked the Russians. Ceausescu continued this outreach to China, and we see how this becomes important in just a minute. In 1967, Ceausescu re-established diplomatic relations with West Germany. Now, making friends with a NATO country was bound to be a cause for concern in the Soviet bloc, but Ceausescu had his reasons. Romania wanted access to West German technological prowess. Despite the destruction of World War II, West Germany quickly rebuilt its industrial base, and by the 1960s was known as a country that consistently produced high-quality machinery and just about every sector it was involved in. 
the Romanians were continuing to push for growth in all kinds of their own industry, and German expertise could really help them achieve this goal. Also, in June of 1967, Israel got involved in a war with Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq. The Six-Day War. Now remember, this is the war where Gaddafi volunteered to go fight, but never got there before the war was over. The Soviet Union and her allies, to include Romania, had been cultivating ties with the Arab world for years, and the bloc unanimously broke off relations with Israel because of the war. Well, most of them anyway. That's right. Romania chose to maintain relations with Israel. To further the point, Ceausescu attempted to play peacemaker and met with several leaders on both sides of the conflict. He didn't really get anywhere with all this uh, diplomatic angling, but when Israel came again into conflict with its neighbors in the Yom Kippur War of 1973, Ceausescu once again stepped into the role of peacemaker. He offered Romania as a neutral territory where negotiations between Israel and the Arab countries could be held. Once again, they chose to go elsewhere, but it really upped Nikolai's clout in the international diplomatic scene. In possibly the most important diplomatic move of his career, Ceausescu showed just how keen he was at the diplomacy game. In the spring of 1968, reformist leaders within Czechoslovakia, led by Slovakian Alexander Dubček, started loosening state control on the press, literature, and freedom of movement. They called it communism with a human face. Well, the Soviet Union wouldn't tolerate this at all. Negotiations failed over the summer, and in early August 1968, the Soviet Union, supported by troops from all over the Warsaw Pact, invaded Czechoslovakia. Romania, once again, was the only holdout. Ceausescu held a mass rally of 100,000 people in Bucharest on the day of the invasion and denounced the move calling it a grave error and constituted a serious danger to peace in Europe and for the prospects of world socialism. He even called for Romanians to be prepared to arm themselves and fight the invasion, if it came down to that. For better or for worse, Romania had just given the Soviets a slap in the face. Back in Czechoslovakia, Dubček and his allies called for help from all over, but the West, led by the Americans, only provided moral support. The Americans were neck deep in the Vietnam War, and they weren't keen to get into any political confrontation over a country which had been part of the Soviet bloc for the past 20 years. For his part, Ceausescu must have known he was taking a big gamble. Romania shared a border with Soviet Moldova, and it wouldn't take much to march right in and assert direct control. And if the West wasn't willing to help Czechoslovakia, then they, the Romanians, definitely were not going to help a country that was even further afield. After his speech, Ceausescu toured Romania and continued speaking out against the Soviet invasion, indicating that Romania was willing to defend itself from the Soviets. That same month, though, Ceausescu signed a friendship pact with the Soviets that seemed to calm things down. The reformers in Prague were kicked out of office, but Dubček and others escaped with their lives. Ceausescu's gamble really paid off. The crisis ended with no serious negative repercussions for Romania, and Ceausescu had made a name for himself on the international stage. And he wasn't about to stop there. Shortly after taking office, 
he launched a charm campaign aimed at gaining favor in the West. He used his intelligence services to build an influence campaign he called Horizon. In Horizon, he directed his spies to take all kinds of measures to change the West's perception of Romania. They wrote positive news articles to hit up the diplomatic circuit. They did all kinds of lobbying and even more. He would hire recent Romanian immigrants to protest for the regime. And I say hire. What I mean is before letting him out of Romania, his government would make them agree to continue to work at their behest, or some really bad stuff would happen to their family members. As a measure of his success, American President Richard Nixon visited Romania in August of 1969. He was the first American president to visit Romania. Ceausescu, in turn, was invited to the United States in 1970. And you might be surprised to hear this, but after the communists take over Romania, United States ceased diplomatic relations, and an American embassy had only opened in Bucharest in 1964. So in just a handful of years, relations had improved markedly. French President and World War II hero Charles de Gaulle also visited Bucharest and awarded Ceausescu France's highest civilian honor, the Légion d'Honneur. Then in 1972, Romania joined the International Monetary Fund and became the only member of the Warsaw Pact to do so. Now, if you don't know what the IMF is, it's basically a pool of money from member countries which can be lent out. It also pushes for monetary cooperation between countries, international trade, high employment, sustainable economic growth, and making resources available to members in need. For a communist nation to join what's essentially the most capitalistic of international organizations it's just a little bit odd, don't you think? This was another bid to wean Romania off the Soviet Union. Prior to this, the only person they could turn to to get money when it needed loans to fund this incessant drive towards industrialization was its Soviet big brother. Now, though, Romania was really part of the world economic system in a way that had previously been closed off to it. The ability to get loans from the IMF and from other Western countries meant that Ceausescu made Romania just a little bit more independent from the Soviets. That same year, 1972, Romania gained most favored nation status from the United States. To summarize what this means, it means that America and Romania would now trade on equal terms, that tariffs would be low, and that import and export quotas would be higher. This was a big step for Romania to gain just a little bit more economic independence from the Soviets. Don't worry though, the Soviets were still Romania's largest trading partner and would remain so, but Romania was obviously seeing what else was out there. One of Ceausescu's most important foreign visits happened in June of 1971. It was his first official trip to the Far East, and Ceausescu visited North Vietnam, China, and North Korea. They were all stalwart communist countries, and the deference the people had for their leaders turned on a switch in Ceausescu's mind that would change Romanian society for the next two decades. In North Vietnam, leader Ho Chi Minh had died about two years earlier, but it achieved an almost godlike status in the country. Parades and mass gatherings celebrated Uncle Ho and his statues were and continued to be prominent all over Vietnam. In 
In China, Ceausescu met with Chairman Mao, who had been in power in China since 1949. China's Cultural Revolution, which sought to destroy elements of China's 4,000-year-old history and culture, was in full swing. Mao encouraged young Chinese people to destroy cultural institutions, which had been central to Chinese life for hundreds of years, to get rid of backwards, non-communist thought and practices. Now, Ceausescu could get down with some of that. And in China, his wife Elena met someone who she could also admire, Mao's wife, Zhang Qing. Madame Mao, as she's sometimes referred to, had made herself one of the leading figures in the Chinese Communist Party apparatus. And by 1969, she was a Politburo member. Elena would later seek to emulate this and eventually would elevate herself to high positions in her own government. On the third leg of the tour, Ceausescu visited North Korea. North Korean leader Kim Il-sung was still in power and was worshipped like a god in the hermit kingdom. North Korea was and is still known for having these mass exhibitions of choreographed song and dance routines that exalt their leaders, the glories of communism, and the inevitable march to victory over the imperialist forces which they oppose. North Korea is famous for holding these mass events yearly in these huge stadiums, but also at other major celebrations. When Ceausescu arrived, Kim paraded him through the sheets of Pyongyang, where thousands of dancers and adoring fans lined the streets. There were songs, intricate dances, and lots of flag waving. Then, Kim took Ceausescu to a massive stadium where a huge song and dance program was displayed for him, to include slogans in Romanian, claiming him as the beloved leader of the Romanian people. And Ceausescu ate it up. He couldn't believe the grandeur, and it, like, really changed him. The Korean people's total commitment to the state and its sole leader, who was the center of cultural and political life, was, like, game-changing for Ceausescu. It's like some light bulb suddenly lit up in his head, and he couldn't turn it off. Up until now, Ceausescu had been the head man, but he wasn't the only man in the average Romanian's mind. When he got back to Romania, he almost immediately went about changing that. On the 6th of July, 1971, he made a speech to the executive committee of the party, in which he laid out a new vision for how Romania should improve communist education and indoctrination throughout the country. These 17 points came to be known as the July Thesis, and it laid the foundation for the next 20 years of Romanian domestic life. Some of these provisions included improved education and communist ideology for the population, youth participation in construction projects as part of their patriotic work, an expansion of political propaganda, especially within existing broadcast mediums such as radio, television, the theater, books, newspapers, and magazines, more promotion of the military and the arts, and more stringent controls on the arts, a.k.a. more censorship. This represented a fundamental change in how Romanians would live. The relaxation of censorship, which Romanians had enjoyed for the previous 10 years, would quickly go the way of the dodo, and the rest of the decade would see an increasingly tighter amount of restrictions on the press, the arts, 
education, and so forth. Romanian nationalism would be pushed at every opportunity, and the bourgeois spirit had to be destroyed in every single member of the populace. The July thesis was made into an official government policy by November of that year, when the party released them under the title, Exposition Regarding the PCR Program for Improving Ideological Activity, Raising the General Level of Knowledge and the Socialist Education of the Masses, in order to arrange relations in our society on the basis of the principles of socialist and communist ethics and equity. What a mouthful. Furthermore, they codified some of these into law, such as the December 1971 law prohibiting the broadcasting or publication of anything that might be against the interests of the state. Like, that's what the law said. Pretty vague in general, don't you think? Like, they can interpret this however they want it, and they did. One of the last things I want to talk about today is one of the major social changes that Ceausescu brought about. Right after he took power in 1965, Ceausescu saw the demographic riding on the wall. Birth rates were down, Romanians weren't having kids, and families were smaller. Prior to the communist takeover, family sizes of three to four children were fairly common, but afterwards, the standard of living had fallen so low that people were having maybe one, maybe two kids. Ceausescu had to come up with a way to change that because the Romanian population would soon start shrinking to heretofore unforeseen levels. And the way that he did that was he outlawed abortion and like c complete total ban. If you had more than four kids, you could get an abortion. But even if the pregnancy would kill you, that still wasn't a good enough case in uh, most instances, and you had to go through with it. And what was the end result of this? Over the next 25 years, during the Ceausescu regime, you get lots of unwanted pregnancies, you get lots of children born who weren't wanted by their parents, and who ended up in what infamously became known as Romanian orphanages. Orphanages all over the country that were understaffed, underfunded, freezing cold in the winter, burning hot in the summer, um, just miserable places akin to a prison for children. And only because they had been born to parents who didn't have any other alternative. Birth control was new even in Western countries. So imagine communist Romania. Where you could hardly get even regular medicine. So a luxury item like birth control wasn't, wasn't even a thing. Wasn't going to happen. So. Yes, you get improved demographics but at the cost of children growing up in these institutions with no families and horrible discipline problems. A lot of kids got abandoned in these orphanages because they had social or physical problems that would prevent them from um, having a normal life in society. Both children with physical disabilities and with mental problems, um, which given a little love and actual like care, could have been taken care of, um, especially when you look at the advances that have happened in this arena in the past 50 years. 
So Romania quickly became a state that just is full of all these kids who have no place to go and no prospects for the future. And while it was great for numbers, Ceausescu really didn't have a plan as to what he's going to do with all these kids who um, need education, they need food, they need shelter, and they need jobs when they get out. Um, and they're probably going to need some mental health because um, the people that they hire to run these institutions um, not really the greatest, you know, not known for being loving, caring kind of people. Um, so you might in the future hear the term Romanian orphanage, and this is where you get it from. Ceausescu outlawed abortion, and you had a whole two and a half generations of kids born during the Ceausescu era who weren't wanted and didn't really have any prospects. Um, this is where I'm going to leave off for today. Um, Ceausescu had fooled his rivals into picking a pliable candidate, only to find out he had his own grand ambitions, who wouldn't flinch to speak out against the Soviet Union when it suited him, and who would even seek to make friends with the hated West. His life-altering trip to the Far East resulted in a fundamental change in how Romania would be governed for the next two decades. Next time, we'll focus more on domestic policy and how the implementation of the July thesis really clamped down on any freedoms the Romanian people might have thought they had. Plus, our old friend Muammar Gaddafi makes an appearance. Mm -hmm.